Chelsea Fairless. And I haven't seen you at all this week because you've been house hunting. I know. It's been a minute. Well, what have you been up to? Anything? I mean, again, I'm the most boring person in the world. Just like hanging out with my grandma. My parents went to whatever that tennis match is in the desert. I I have no idea what you're talking about. Exactly. I took my grandmother to an estate sale because I had to to watch her. Well, that's exciting. Nothing like a thrill of finding a bargain on a dead person's uh, armoire. It was one of the most unique estate sales I had been to, which was the reason I wanted to go is you had to make an appointment. So I was like, oh, this probably won't be harrowing. It won't be full of those TikTok people. I was just about to say TikTok has discovered estatesales.net and has made going to estate sales very unfun these days. (laughs) But... I'm like trying to explain to my grandma. She kept referring to it as a flea market. She's like, so we're at a flea market. And I was like, no. And the other reason I wanted to go to this, not flea market, but a state sale, is the woman was formerly a costume designer. Oh, that's cool. But in trying to explain it, I couldn't be like, oh, she died. Like my grandmother. She's in her 90s. Or oh, was God. in her 90s. This is dark. Maybe you shouldn't have taken her. No, she had a good time. So what did you gaslight your grandma? Like, yeah, she's still alive. She's just selling some of her stuff. No, my grandmother did not ask too many questions. But I did find a vintage 1980s Aliyah dress for $150. Beautiful. Which may seem like a lot to people. I don't know. But if you go on... The real, real or first dibs, those dresses. I could, honestly, I should just flip this dress because they go for $1,000. Yeah. Well, and also 150 these days is like the cost of like one of those extra nice Zara dresses. <laughs> you know, the ones who are like, this is Zara collection. Yeah. The Zara collection dresses. The fabrics will last 25% longer. <laughs> but you'll want to wear it 25% less because every bitch got the dress. <laughs> So yeah, I've just been palling around with my grandmother like some twisted Nancy Myers film. Love that for you. Well, as you know, I've been house hunting. There have been highs. There have been lows. Tat has had several dramatic meltdowns, as you can imagine. But ultimately, we found a great house, which we're renting, by the way. We're not buying the house. But the house that we got was the second one that we applied for. We actually did get the first one that we applied for, except we did the final walkthrough and we realized there weren't lights. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. There weren't ceiling lights. You were like, I know, Tad, that I didn't like the fixtures in another house, but like you have to give it to me. There just isn't lights here. There's no, because that was apparently a common feature of many mid-century houses. They required one to buy several thousand floor lamps (laughs) to keep them lit, which is what we would have had to do, which would have been a nightmare so thank god that didn't happen i know you got this home because i was called as a character reference (laughs) (laughs) how well okay so how was he how was my landlord i get a text message from chelsea on tuesday that's like hey just so you know i put you down as a character reference for this house but this guy's never gonna call you cut to three and a half hours later and i never answer calls i'm sure like most of us 
for numbers I don't recognize, but this person left a message and it wasn't a two second one from a call center. It was a real person that was like, hey. uh." So what did he ask you about me? Well, first I texted you back and I was like, do I say we have a business? Like, what am I supposed to say? You don't have to lie. You're just a character witness. (laughs) He was lovely. No, he was already into you guys. I think he just wanted to make sure you weren't psychos. Right. Although putting your friends down as references, I don't think would yield that result. But yeah, I agree. You should put down your biggest enemy. (laughs) I need your best friend, your frenemy, the mother of an ex, (laughs) just to get a full rounded sense of who you are. Well, he's quite cool. I actually Googled him and he's a documentary filmmaker and a UFOologist, which I find to be fascinating. And he curated some exhibition about Sharon Tate with the permission of her family that had like hundreds of her personal items, including like her Tia Porter and her Aussie Clark dresses and shit like that. So I'm vibing with this guy. Uh, He was definitely vibing with you guys. I think what (laughs) pushed it over the edge was I was talking about your bookcases. You have wonderfully curated bookcases in your current apartment with all your magazines and books and ephemera. And so I didn't even realize that the place you had looked at had a bunch of inbuilt bookcases. So I think that's what pushed it over the edge. Yeah. And then I also begged him to give you this house so that Tack could stop using my garage as her studio. (laughs) Perfect. I love it. Yeah, I'm so excited. The house that we got is in Beverly Glen, which I've never fucking been to before. Where is this place? It's halfway in between Beverly Hills and Bel Air, but it's one of the cut throughs like a Mahal and like a Coldwater that can take you from quote unquote the west side to the valley. And also at the top of the at the top of Beverly Glen is a very cute market of sorts. Oh like, yeah, we went there. That's right by my house. Oh, okay. It's the classiest strip mall ever. <laughs> it is insane. Well, it doesn't feel like LA. It feels more like Idlewild or yeah. or Topanga or something over there yeah yeah, the house is like it's full mid-century it's interesting because it's more of like a Danish like Aesop store vibe than Tad (laughs) and I would normally go for but when we went in there we're like oh we're just gonna like listen to Fleetwood Mac all day and microdose and just like get fully into it yeah which is kind of your vibe anyway yeah you're more indoctrinating Tad into this well Tad was like oh I have to completely change my style (laughs) Like the next time you see her, she might be wearing like a suede fringe jacket with like 50 turquoise rings or some shit. One thing that you're going to hate about this though, Lauren, is the parking. It has the most scary driveway you've ever seen in your life. Like it's actually terrifying. And one thing for the fuckettes that don't know, Lauren feels very oppressed by parking (laughs) in general, but refuses to valet. I mean, you'll valet at like a nice hotel or stuff if you're going to lunch. But if we're just trying to get like lunch at Fred 62, you will circle the block like 50 times before you will drive into a parking garage or. Where is there a parking garage? I have paid many a times. There's a parking lot. Yes, I paid many a times the $10. (laughs) This is the other Begrudgingly after doing like 50 laps. I'm more upset that I just. I feel like everyone else can find parking spaces easily, and I cannot. They're there. (laughs) They're all occupied, though. This is such a metaphor for my life. They're out there. They're just occupied. Yeah, so you'll probably have to park on Beverly Glen just to, like, avoid this scary driveway. Well, fuck it. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) 
Yes. I've also been getting messages from fuckettes asking for a house tour, and we will do one on Patreon, like in six months or something once it's done, but I can't decide whether it should be a house tour or like a fake 73 questions. Oh, I was going to say, are we going to make this look like an old school Cribs episode? I mean, if you edit it. Yeah, I will. I will film it and I will edit it. Okay, but which one of you is going to say when we enter the bedroom, this is where the magic happens? (laughs) Tat, obviously. Well, also, I feel like I really need to move because West Hollywood is ejecting me, Lauren. Are you too gay or not gay enough? It feels like I don't feel wanted anymore. It's the most wonderful neighborhood, and I would totally stay there if we could afford a house that is big enough in this particular area or apartment or something. But it's fucked. Like, on Sunday, I woke up slightly hungover to the sound of, like, cheering. Oh, this was the best. I woke up on Sunday morning to a text message from Chell that just went, fuck the LA marathon. I always forget about it every year. And every, these fucks everyone run does. right by my house. There was a whole family cheering someone on. For those that don't live in Los Angeles, the LA marathon runs along Sunset Boulevard, I think from downtown almost all the way to the beach or whatever 26 miles is. And you can't go anywhere. You can't get delivery from anywhere where this is going on. Like it's a whole ass thing. Also, My dog has been displaced from his dog park because of the Oscars. They're building like crazy tents. Oh, for the parties. They've taken it over for two weeks, the entire dog park in West Hollywood. The dog park? Because usually parties are in like the Pacific Design Center, which is across the street. Lauren, they're like building structures. It's not just erecting (laughs) tents. There's floors to these structures. And it's the entire park that entire space the tennis court both of the dog parks so i was like fuck i'll have to take quito to the beverly hills dog park i go in i can't go in it's like gramercy park lauren you need a key to get into the beverly hills dog park mike these gatekeepers are keeping my dog from this lovely park which of course tat like immediately applied for So we will have a key soon. But anyway, I was just offended. I assume that getting into the Beverly Hills dog park is kind of like trying to get into the San Vicente bungalows. Like, you can apply. There's just 20,000 people in front of you. Yeah, good luck. Also, my super sucks and won't fix anything. Like, my underwear drawer broke like a month ago. It's been taken. It has not been returned. I've been getting my underwear out of trash bags. Like, there's one for shapewear and, like, lingerie, and there's one for normal normal underwear but I've lost the one for normal underwear somewhere in my closet so I literally am wearing crotchless underwear right now because it's the only thing I can find like I'm gonna kill myself I have to move anyway we've been talking for far too long you're like oh yeah bitch I'm editing literally all of this out (laughs) no today we are doing a sex and city episode which is very serendipitous because we also got the news that and just like that's coming back baby season two thank god Yeah, I mean, we've pontificated about why there wasn't a renewal immediately. From what we understand, it was a conversation between SJP and MPK about what would be done in season two, which is a little weird because given our criticism about the show, and as we talked about in uh, our second Patreon episode, where we talk about what you could do for season two, I think it's fairly obvious. Like, I think we actually are on okay footing to go into a season two. For sure. 
And I can't wait to see it, obviously. And of course, for us, it's good for business, even (laughs) as the parasites and the bottom feeders of this enterprise. Oh, we're the bottom feeders? (laughs) We are. We're literal parasites. Think about it. I'd like to think of us as succubuses of the Sex in the City (laughs) universe. (laughs) But yeah, no word. Yeah, we don't know anything about it. Well, they have to put the writer's room together. Isn't it together already? Like, yeah, who's staying? Who's coming back? I would be really curious to know. I hope Jenny Bix could be brought in. Yeah, we love Jenny Bix. But with everyone's schedule, it's like, is Gilded Age getting renewed? Is Cynthia going to have conflicts? Are we guaranteed more wigs? Because she's got to get into the Gilded Age wigs and then Miranda wigs. What a role reversal. Because now I feel like Cynthia is the darling of HBO because of these two concurrent shows. Not that SJP isn't, but... It is interesting that she's come up in this way. They already had the writer's room up and running by this time last year. So unless that is the same, I can't imagine that this won't be out in spring of 2023. As it should. Let's not do this in the winter again. No. Right before Christmas and New Year's? That was hell on our schedule. (laughs) Come on, Daddy MPK. Think of us. He's like, I am. I'm giving you a season two despite everything you've said. Yeah, he did give one quote where he said, the fact is we're all thrilled and just like that, our sex life is back. He had to give us a pun, but is there going to be sex this season? Daddy, no. Is Carrie getting railed? Will Miranda fuck a non-Che Diaz person? Will Charlotte fuck again? God, please give her the swinger storyline we desperately want. Yeah. Will we see Harry's dong again? (laughs) Because we don't need to. (laughs) (laughs) We're good on that. Anyway, shall we get into some calls? Yeah. Hi, ladies. It's Stephanie. I love you guys so much. I'm watching A Perfect Murder from the 90s right now. And I feel like there's no way that you ladies don't know this because you're such movie buffs. But Seema and Steve are both in this movie And I never knew it. So I haven't seen this movie in 10,000 years. I remember Viggo Mortensen living in an unrealistically large and chic artist studio slash apartment. I think he's, we're supposed to understand he lives in Williamsburg, which feels ultra dangerous in 1998. There's nothing better than these sorts of artist lofts in 90s films. There's actually another iconic one and another iconic Gwyneth Paltrow joint in Great Expectations. Think about Ethan Hawke's studio in that movie. But yes, Sarita Shadri plays Raquel Martinez, okay, who is Gwyneth Paltrow's best friend in the film. Oh, she's confiding to her about the affair. Yes, and she quite like Seema is like, I'm your best friend. Why didn't you tell me you were fucking a hot artist (laughs) and cheated on your old man husband? (laughs) Okay, what about Steve, though? During the pandemic, I rewatched this film, and I remember sending you this because I was so stunned. You would think maybe he's, like, a detective who's, like, on the hunt for the guy that, you know, attempted to murder Gwyneth Paltrow. Spoiler alert, it's based on a Hitchcock film. But no, he is just, like, random guy that works with Michael Douglas, which you only see him in a scene where Michael Douglas is on a tense phone call and there's a bunch of computer screens in the background. Yet another vague biz bro (laughs) in the New York Upper East Side pantheon. And then it just cuts over to who we know as Steve. Just looking very tense. I didn't know that A Perfect Murder was a remake of Dial M for Murder (laughs) until I saw that film like 10 years later. And I was like, wait, I've seen this before. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's kind of like when I watched Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and I didn't understand till years later that when they're playing board games with death that it's a reference to The Seventh Seal. Yeah, totally. That happens with children's movies. Like in The Lion King, there is that, like, they call me Mr. Pig. And then years later, oh. I was watching whatever Sydney Poitier yeah, film They call me from. Mr. Tibbs. And I was like, oh, shit. Now I get it. Sometimes it takes a minute. I think there's another call. What if since we didn't get a Mr. Big dream sequence at the very end, they went ahead and replaced it with a Bobby Fine sequence of him singing Is That All There Is? I feel like that would be much more respectful because we had plenty of Mr. Big and we didn't have enough of Bobby Fine. I'm all for this. It would be completely demented, but I love it. (laughs) This would involve in just like that being fun, which as I firmly established, the show is not fun, but I would love this. Yeah, and I imagine that he would be in a glittering white suit with a glittering white piano like Liberace or something. Yeah, I imagine it's like a crane shot from the street with the girls and then it just goes to the sky and the sky and then, you know, the cloud effects start and he's there. (laughs) Is Mr. Big just leaning against the piano smoking a cigar? Is Big in heaven? Yeah. Question mark. It's questionable. We don't know how he made all that money. Let's just say that. Should we finally get into the episode that we're going to talk about today? Yeah. Episode one of season four, The Agony and the Ecstasy. It's very fitting we're doing this episode because it is written and directed by Daddy MPK himself. Love that. We're doing this episode because one of our hot and rich patrons, Jocelyn, is going through a breakup. I hope I'm not setting a dangerous precedent, but (laughs) she messaged us and was like, can you do more podcasts because I can't listen to music? I'm sorry if I'm blowing up your spot, Jocelyn. But I said, oh, what can we talk about? And she said, this is my favorite episode. So here we are. Yeah, it's a good one. Did you notice the very first shot of season four are the Manolo Blahniks that Pete will later chew in the good fight? Yes, the strappy Manolos that have like these demented mother of pearl button accents. Is that what they are? I always thought they were like puka shells. No, they're not puka shells. Maybe I just, you know, I saw Aiden and then those shoes and just assumed they were puka shells. Yeah. I love a getting ready montage. I wrote, fuck, I miss a getting ready montage. Like Samantha's grabbing her condoms. Uh, Miranda looks hot. This haircut is very fitting. Yeah. It's great. I love this as an entry point to this episode. And honestly, we could have used that for and just like that. Just saying for season two. Yeah. Getting ready montage, you can never go wrong. So they meet up and it is truly a spectacular group outfit. Well, this is the introduction and it really only exists in this episode of what I like to call cape carry. Yes. She wears two capes in this episode and then never again. Yes. Well, I have a theory about the Carrie's looks in this episode. They all, to me, read as being very British. Yeah, because I think that the cape that she's wearing in this first scene, it's very a thoughty Florence Nightingale look. But I think it's probably like a World War One issued cape for nurses. Yeah, but the total effect of this outfit has a Vivian Westwood type quality to it. Right. It's fabulous. But all the other, I mean, so many animals died to make this group outfit. Like, <laughs> Like Samantha's in a pink and red fur coat. Charlotte and Miranda are both in like leather overcoats. And Miranda has this like sassy multicolor fur stole that's incredible. Yeah, I guess there's a conversation to be had, which is when do we think Carrie's birthday is slash what is her zodiac sign? Because it's clear. (laughs) This is autumn. 
or autumn into winter, but it continues to get warmer as the season goes on. So I assumed it was like a February, March, hmm. like a 40 degree okay. March evening. It could be. Maybe all the autumnal colors in this group outfit were just throwing me. Also, I, I was looking at this and I was like, what about this makes this so Pat Field, apart from the copious use of fur? And I realized every character has a contrasting pair of gloves. Oh my God, yeah. Every single character is, has a little like pop of color on the glove. And I think that's just so fun and perfect and typical of her. It's, and it's what ties all of these outfits together. So they are going to the engagement party of a man that they seemingly have all had relations with who we've never been introduced to in the four years of the show Danny could this not have easily been Skipper but I guess they have to establish I, I don't see Skipper uh, Samantha says uh, this Danny guy had more than one thought and it all involved going up my ass <laughs> it's like why are you guys going to this engagement party anyway this guy seems like kind of a dick and he is when you meet him yeah, I mean, I would not go just for the invitation that says two souls, one thought. Yeah, and we don't mean thought like T-H-O-T. We don't know. We didn't see the invite, to be fair. Well, Danny kind of sucks because he introduces Miranda to someone as Charlotte, which is like, how could you possibly confuse these people? Although it allows Carrie to say that maybe you should have showed him both boobs. So Samantha clearly fucked Danny. And maybe even had anal with him. Carrie's like, I fucked him once when I was bored. Charlotte's like, I kissed him once, I think on New Year's. Yeah, New Year's Eve kiss. And then Miranda's like, I showed him a boob. That's erotic, though. That's giving like Charlotte Rampling or something. I'm just showing you one boob in a coat check. <laughs> also, is that Miranda's move? Because she does show a titty, remember, uh, to the neighbor in oh, yeah. season two. Yeah. Can we bring that back? I'd love that. So Charlotte has an awkward interaction with some woman who's just like, oh, where's Trey? <laughs> I love nervous, bumbling Charlotte. <laughs> yeah. And of course, she like rambles, overcompensates, overshares. And this scene really, really reminded me of the scene that we just discussed in our Patreon episode about the First Wives Club, where Bette Midler asked Diane Keaton how her marriage is. <laughs> And she just kind of like has a slow, nervous breakdown. Oh, I thought you were going to say that Charlotte seems like a character out of a soon-to-be Patreon episode, Deep Water, <laughs> which is a film we just watched and lost our minds over. Yeah. Then we go over to Miranda, who I got to say her single comedy routine hit a little close to home. <laughs> Right. Well, I definitely had a comedy routine when I was single. You have to around married people. There's no other way to be. Yeah, I guess that remains true that we make married people uncomfortable. Yeah, you have to diffuse the tension of your very existence. For acquaintances, not actual friends. Yeah. Of course. I didn't realize that we were going to get Trey this early on in the season. I sort of forgot because where we leave off on season three is Charlotte and Trey finally have sex, but I guess only the once. Right. And Charlotte has a whole list of things that she needs to get through about what they're going through as a couple, which I say, if you have to make a list, it's probably not going to work out. Yeah, for sure. That's the number one sign. <laughs> he goes, can I take your panties off? She goes, no. He goes, all righty. <laughs> I don't think we've ever discussed this. So Trey is able to um, achieve an erection and uh, gets a little too excited, to which I want to ask you, now, has this always been a problem with Trey or is it just about Charlotte? I assume it's always been a problem with Trey. 
I don't think it's about Charlotte. Although clearly there's a psychological component to this, which they ultimately overcome and have a relatively normal sex life, right? Yeah, that bunny witnesses in all its glory. But it was really hard to see Trey prematurely ejaculate on Charlotte. But I don't Charlotte's know what, leg, as she later clarified. I don't know what's grosser, like having someone come on you like that or having someone be like, oh, can I get you a hanky? That's worse, I think. I think that's the ice bath on an awkward situation. Well, also, it's like, get the girl a baby wipe. Like, this girl needs moisture. This is not something a hanky can solve. And then we get a glorious Carrie outfit. Oh, yeah. She walks into her apartment in these amazing argyle knee socks with a mini skirt and, like, a yellow quilted Burberry jacket, like the shit that the queen wears. (laughs) On a duck hunt. This one is hyper-British. This one is like full on, full on Anglophile. And I forget if I said this before, but is this because Mr. Big is in London? I know. Well, we learn later that he's in in London, which it's like, wait, hold on. So you guys are buddies? These are the days before texting. So did you just call her on the phone and was like, hey, kid, I'll be in London? Yeah, I have no clue. Anyway, she gets a dating service application, which then leads us into the brunch scene where there is a discussion about soulmates, which I guess is tentatively the theme of the episode. It's literally the theme of the episode. So like this scene, this discussion of the soulmates where Miranda has the great line about soulmates only existing in the hallmark aisle of Dwayne Reed. Which I think that quote appears in our book. We should all be Miranda's available wherever books are sold. Well, we talked about soulmates in that book. We had a whole like little essay about soulmates. I don't know. I blacked out (laughs) writing that book. (laughs) Again, refreshing to see after watching and just like that, all of their different perspectives on the situation. Carrie is Switzerland as always, which is weird because she's the journalist of the group or the writer of the group. You would think she would have a stance on this. I kind of relate to Carrie though in that sense. Sure. Believing in soulmates is kind of like believing in religion. There are questions to be had. I want to believe. It's like a definition of God. My definition of a, of a soulmate isn't a white man in a beard in a cloud. <laughs> no, yeah, it wouldn't be. Charlotte, of course, believes in soulmates, which I think gets amended in the second season where she's like, actually, you can just have two soulmates. Yeah. And then Carrie's like, great, I've, you know, Aiden and Big. Or, no, it's two great loves. That's what it is. But I love Samantha's line about the idea of soulmates just makes it so much more difficult because it makes the gap between the Holy Grail and assholes even bigger. Yeah. Miss our girl. Also, this is where the gif, uh, the yes gif comes from, where Miranda and Samantha are like, yes, because they fill out the dating service application for Carrie. Yeah, I noticed that. And then presumably never send it. So this leads into the I couldn't help but wonder, which is three I couldn't help but wonders, really. It's if you love someone and it didn't work out, does it mean that they weren't your soulmate? (laughs) What do you think? Well, I mean, this is the whole right person, wrong time thing. Right. Which some people I've heard, it's like, well, right person, wrong time means they were the wrong person. I think timing is everything. Yeah. But also, I think that if you were in, say, a 50-year marriage that ends up ending, it's like, yeah, that probably was your soulmate. Yeah, I mean, I... I don't know. Or maybe it's not. I mean, we've had this conversation, you and I, before, where you're like, I think everything's faded and everything that's meant to happen is supposed to happen. And I'm like, sure, but then there are definitely decisions people have made in their lives that, like, fuck up their lives for the rest of it. Like you can- Oh, for sure. No, I don't think that everything is fate. I'm not like that fucking charlatan. Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
I just believe that sometimes things do happen for a reason or life yeah. has a natural progression, whatever you want to call it. You better say Tat's your soulmate if you listen to this episode. <laughs> oh, Tat's obviously my soulmate, which is why I totally believe in soulmates. <laughs> All right. Which I do. I do. Although I don't, I don't believe that there's one person for everything. That's just like an illogical thing. What if you're, you're born in the United States and your soulmate is in like Japan or something? Are you just supposed to be miserable for your whole life? Oh, because your soulmate's in Japan? Yeah. I'm just saying this one soulmate per person seems a little unrealistic. It's kind of like how realistic is Santa Claus delivering presents <laughs> to every child in the world over the course of one evening? Although having said that, you have found your soulmate and you do believe in that. <laughs> exactly. All right. What's the second I couldn't help but wonder in this? As you move from age box to age box, are your chances of finding your soulmate less and less? I mean, society would like to make you feel that way for sure. I hope that's not the case. I get that people pair off and the pickings become slim, but now I feel like everyone breaks up and gets divorced all the time. So there's constantly fresh meat entering the pool. Yeah, I feel like when you're in your early 30s, as I am still gripping onto those early 30s as long as I can. Yeah, I think there's a wave of people that married their college sweethearts that got divorced and now they're back in the dating field. Yeah, exactly. Which, as we previously described, is the worst situation one can be in. Sorry, Jocelyn, if this is your situation, but I, I do think there's nothing worse than having been in a couple in your 20s and then being let loose in the dating world in your 30s. Yeah, it is like a domesticated animal that's been let out into the wild. It's just unethical, you know? So the last I couldn't help but wonder is soulmates, reality or torture device? I'm going to say, because this is her writing it and not the final piece. If I'm her editor, I'm like, maybe we do another pass on this, Carrie. <laughs> reality or torture device? Those are my options? I think it's both, isn't it? Yeah. Because the reality is, is that people meet, they fall in love, they have meaningful lifelong connections. That's a reality. It's also a reality that the institution of soulmates is oppressive to single people. It just is. So now we get a walk and talk with Samantha and Carrie where Samantha suggests that Carrie have some sort of birthday dinner because she's turning 35. Sure, why not? It's weird that in four seasons we've never, oh, I guess I was going to say we've never seen their birthday celebrated, but I think in the very first episode of Sex and the City, it's someone's birthday. Samantha? I forget. I think it's Samantha's. Anyway. And then this so often happens with birthdays where a friend bullies you into having some sort of party or event. And in this case, it's Samantha. And not only does she do that, but she's like, should we invite Big? Which seems so out of character for Samantha. Like Charlotte might do that. It is. I mean, it's to do a bit of business at the end of the episode. But even Carrie's like, I don't know, should I? And then Samantha's like, I don't know. I just like fuck them and leave them. I, I don't know about like being friends with your ex. You tell me. We should also note that this is maybe the most British outfit in this episode, which is the cord blazer, the horse head bag, the skirt, which I think has some sort of graphic of like hunting dogs or horses or some British shit. Yeah. It's giving pip pip cheerio energy for sure. <laughs> And then the point of this scene is the original hot priest, Friar Fuck, is introduced. People have DM'd us, certainly after season two of Fleabag aired, and its popularity of like, oh my god, Friar Fuck was the original hot priest. And I've always been like, ah, eh, you know, it's not that similar. And then watching this episode, I'm like, it's kind of similar. Like, I do wonder if 
It's extremely similar. But that if Phoebe Waller-Bridge, because I've had this happen while writing, like wrote season two of Fleabag and then like far down the line was like, oh, wait, I know what this reminds me of. (laughs) This Sex and the City episode I watched 15 years ago. For sure. I forgot that she just sees Friar Fuck when she's with Carrie and then she comes back on Sunday to stalk him, I guess. Her way of getting into Friar Fuck's robe, I guess, is to offer the fact that she can guarantee Donald Trump and Marla Maples. Marlo Thomas. Oh, Marlo Thomas. (laughs) That's good, though. I see the logic there. Oops. That was great. That's even more random. Why Marlo Thomas? Why does every guy that Samantha fucks look like this? They really do. They all look like this guy. I was especially thinking about that in the first scene where she's talking to the guy that's the Hollywood agent. And I was like, why didn't we include him in our list? We did a post once where we theorized that Samantha just fucks the same guy. Yeah. Because she does. They all look like this. The actor that plays Friar Fuck does look a lot like Mr. Too Big. Yeah. From season two. What did you think of Samantha's business card? Oh, I love it. I love that nice brush script that was not done by hand, by the way. We do get an and just like that in this episode. Yeah, it's... And just like that, Samantha went from Mr. No Soul to Mr. All Souls. Because he works at the All Souls Church. And then Samantha does the only thing she can all afternoon, which is masturbate. And she uh, climaxes in an operatic fashion, which is very funny. And then she flexes at dinner to the girls that she has been masturbating all afternoon, which I love. Well, because Charlotte's like, you look super glowy. Did you get a facial? Did you get that goop glow exfoliant that everyone's talking about? You can tell that this episode is from the year 2000 because Miranda and Carrie confess that who they masturbate to is Russell Crowe. Are you horny for Russell Crowe? I mean... L.A. Confidential. I was going to say L.A. Confidential Russell Crowe, but like... That I get. Yeah, but I mean, Beautiful Mind Russell Crowe, Gladiator Gladiator, yeah, no, it's, it's not. I do agree that George Clooney is like a Chanel suit. That is a line that has aged very well. Yeah. And it will continue to age very well, much like a Chanel suit. I do find it interesting that they name actors and not scenarios or fantasies as what they masturbate to. I guess maybe I'm... Do you masturbate to actors? That's what I was going to say. Maybe I'm revealing too much about myself. I don't. Yeah, I think it's more about like a scenario or a fantasy. Right. Yeah, of course. I mean, Batman notwithstanding. Like, we're not including (laughs) superheroes in this, are we? But would you masturbate to, like, a busboy that was rude to you? I know. <laughs> Which is what Miranda says. I mean, she ma- she definitely masturbated to that sandwich. Yeah, this is a pattern. That's what I thought, too. I thought about the sandwich that sexually harassed her. She loves that shit. Again, this could turn into an Isabelle Pear film at any time. Season two. Don't let us down. Carrie thinks 35 is old, which in years past, I suppose I would agree. But as I inch up to 35, I'm like, it's not so bad. Are you turning 35 this year? No. Next year? Yeah. Okay. So you have a little bit of time. Or as my trainer said yesterday, she thought I was 31. I was like, I was 31 when the pandemic started. So yes, I'm still 31. (laughs) I think we should all just be the age we were when the pandemic started. I agree. I agree. 
but I don't think 35 isn't an old age at all. I think 35 is young age. What sucks about 35 is that there's so many societal pressures to achieve certain things by the age of 35, right? By that time, you should be established in your career. You should be married or in some sort of long-term relationship or have kids if you want that, be a homeowner. That's a lot. Yeah, but these women are, are Gen X people. Like they Oh, for sure. I'm talking about like us. Us, yeah. Because I had this feeling like in my twenties, no one had their shit together. Maybe that was just because I was living in New York. But I didn't know <laughs> no a lot one of ever people, has their shit together. Yeah, I didn't know a lot of people with like savings accounts or kids or anything like that. But it seemed like when I got into my thirties, especially mid thirties, now that's a full thing. But I even feel that way for for Gen Z generation. They're so much more fluent in investing in their 20s. Yeah. Anyway. Fuck them. Fuck Gen X too. <laughs> what else do we have? Miranda has a run-in with yet another person who I thought was the woman from the engagement party that got engaged to Danny. But it's just a different blonde woman that Miranda runs into on the street. She looks a lot like Jessica Lange. She really does. I was like, who the fuck is this (laughs) fake ass Jessica Lange up in this scene? I think they did a good job as the seasons went on of just having recurring character people like a Bitsy Von Muffling. Yeah. In the early seasons, I would say up until season five, it's just all of these great character actors or characters that come in and then you never see them again like Amelita. Right. This woman, again, previously unseen in four seasons, but we're supposed to understand is Miranda's friend who's married, but they're not having kids. And then she does her little routine because Miranda disarms her because she's just like, you know what? Maybe there isn't someone for everyone. Well, yeah, she asks Miranda if she's seen anyone special. She's like, hi, how are you? Are you seeing anyone? That's so aggressive. Like, what a bitch. I also feel like when you run into people you haven't seen in a while, it's more like, what are you doing? What are you doing for a job? I feel like is usually. Yeah. Like, where are you living? Like, what's going on? Do you still see so and so? The connective tissue. Yeah, exactly. I think it's great that Miranda has this particular response. Maybe there isn't someone for everyone. And we talked about this in our book also. It's a fact that there isn't someone for everyone. That's terrible, but it's true. So in another scene pulled straight out of Fleabag season two, Samantha goes to church. With a spangly bag full of canned goods. And she goes up to Friar Fuck, who's like sitting in a, what's it called? A pew. Pew. Sitting in a pew. Sitting in a pew pew. (laughs) I could have told you it was anything. Yeah, I totally would have believed you. So Friar Fuck is sitting in the pew and she's like, I was thinking about you at the market and I bought you some canned food. It's like, what What do you mean? I was imagining a farmer's market. Now you're pulling out cans. Well, then she goes, do you think about me? And she's using her voice as as an act of a power of suggestion. And I wonder, like, should I start doing that? This is masterful flirting on Samantha's part. I definitely got the vibe that Friar Fuck was into her, but not enough to break his vow of chastity. That's almost worse. That's not worse. He just loves God that much. Like the actual hot priest. Yeah. It's inspiring to see someone that's that devoted to something, even if it is like maybe not what I would do with my life, but whatever. And also dedicated to an institution that molests boys a lot. Yeah. But being a spiritual leader has its positives. As we saw in Wild Wild Country, you get a lot of Rolls Royces. (laughs) 
I think a lot of people that would have been cult leaders now just run unicorn companies in Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah, but I still feel like a lot of like Gen Z and millennials are like becoming priests and shit. Interesting. Well, look at Mosaic. Look at all those people wearing leather jackets that are like conducting services. Mosaic is a hipster church that's down the street from where I live that Chelsea and I are terrified to go to because we're afraid we're going to be indoctrinated. Well, I think you're probably fine. I am a more spiritual person, so I feel like I might fall victim to Mosaic and then just end up giving all of my money to them. But whatever. You'd be seduced by their sans serif font and their exquisite social media output. Yeah. All of their output is great. Chell and I send each other almost every week their social media posts because it's so good, you guys. Well, because they're paying some agency like $20,000 a month to do these social assets. We need to know what that agency is. Yeah, and which, which celebrities are directly funding this enterprise. Diving back into the episode, to make this the soulmate thing work for Samantha, Carrie's voiceover is... The hot monk was her soulmate? Wait, he's a monk? I, uh, Carrie refers to him as a hot monk, but it's, okay. you know, he's a he's a priest. I'm like, wait, <laughs> hold I mean, on. Carrie calls him a hot monk. Samantha refers to him as Friar Fuck. He is a priest. Okay. A Franciscan priest. I don't know. Is Samantha's soulmate someone she can't have? Someone she can't know in the carnal sense is her ultimate soulmate? I don't know, but it's definitely not Richard. So the evening comes. It's Carrie's birthday. How long do you think the writers were waiting to do a storyline that revolved around the fact that in New York, only a few blocks away from each other, was a restaurant called Il Cantinori and then a restaurant called... Il Cantino? El Cantinoro? It's giving Dylan McDermott Dermot Mulroney. It is. I don't know. I think for birthdays, it's good to have a pre-event or a pre-game with at least one person in the party so that this doesn't happen, so that you are not the guest of honor and you're left alone. Yeah, but everyone ultimately showed up. She just left early. Well, and she seemingly was there for 45 minutes. Yeah, but in a pre-cell phone world, you just have to wait it out. Do you see what I mean? Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. I know. We've really, we've glossed over the exquisite red Prada outfit she's wearing and also Sarah Jessica Parker's exquisite abs exquisite abs she's wearing a big puffy velvet headband which is very right now I guess yeah I see this shit all the time now yeah she looks amazing do you think this episode is why no hostess will seat you until your entire party is here (laughs) yeah because the bitch just ordered Shirley Temple's And kept a 10-person table for 45 minutes. Does this drive anyone else insane? Like, it drives Chell and I insane. This whole, like, we cannot seat you until your entire party arrives. Of course, it oppresses everyone. Well, I don't understand the logic, especially with brunch, because it's like, yeah, we'll have a round of mimosas and wait for whoever's late. Like, you'll probably get more money out of us because we're here longer. And they're like, no, Carrie Bradshaw once in an episode of Sex and the City. (laughs) Yeah, this might be all her fault. Had a party of 10, and there was only one. (laughs) 
So Carrie thinks that everyone has arrived because someone starts singing happy birthday and it's for someone who's celebrating a birthday behind her who's 25 and screams, fuck, I'm old, which I'm like, excuse me, this quote unquote 25 year old looks way older than Carrie. Yeah, I was about to say this woman has to be at least 40. Also, hot birthday present suggestion. If anyone's turning 25, I think a 25 fuck I'm old cake would be hilarious. (laughs) To add insult to injury, not only are people late to her birthday party, but a cake was sent over that Carrie has to pay for? Well, yeah, I'm sure Charlotte ordered it or something. Although, wouldn't they just make you pay ahead of time? Whatever. I I understand why, for the plot, this has to be like this. But the cake, I guess, was the final straw. So then she decided to go home and kill herself, (laughs) which I think was so funny in the form of a voiceover. Yeah. It was as jarring and funny as in just like that big died. I guess that wasn't funny, but you know what I mean. Yeah. There's something like about the voiceover where it really made it comedic. Yeah. And also the the combination of that sky blue coat. Yeah. With the, the red Prada. Stunning color combination. And she's carrying it. She's carrying a bag I would never think to put with these clothes, which is like a Fendi vinyl logo print. Which she wears throughout the episode with every outfit. Huh, every Aside outfit. from the ones where she's wearing a horse head bag or we didn't talk about the America, the sequin American flag pouch that she carried in the first scene. Was this episode pre or post 9-11? Pre. Okay. Interesting. Carrie was ahead of her time because I feel like flags really came back after 9-11 for a hot minute. So yeah, she drops the cake in a construction site. This is, you know, why we love Carrie. We put up with her bullshit because the universe gets back at her in these ways. Well, this is a terrible situation. These construction workers are literally evil. There's like more than one of them screaming at her. I was watching this with Tat and she was like, if that happened to me, I would just scream at them like, fuck you. It's my fucking birthday. I mean, which is I would have liked to see her do. Yeah, but I think the note to the actors playing the construction workers, or maybe they were real construction workers, they're being mean, but it's almost as if they're amusing each other by yelling at Carrie. Yeah. And being like, no, don't go that way, go this way. And the cake drops and he's like, come on, lady. Yeah, they're pricks. There's nothing better than Sarah Jessica Parker saying, I'm sorry. It's like, don't apologize to them. (laughs) They clearly didn't do a a sufficient job of blocking off the street. Yeah. So you have nothing to apologize for. If anything, this merits a big old-fashioned New York fuck you. It's not Carrie's style. I know. So she goes, before she kills herself, I guess, Carrie decides to take a shower. (laughs) Before Elliot Smith's needle in the hay starts to play. (laughs) Carrie shaves her head. (laughs) Oh, you imagine all the curls in the sink. (laughs) She takes off the Carrie necklace and puts it down. Could you imagine? It's way funnier than it should be. Could you it's imagine not right. if an episode of Sex and the City ended like this? Uh, there was an episode of Buffy where Buffy was in a mental institution for the episode because it's like, you're not a vampire slayer, you're insane. And then that was the whole episode. It's like, you're not, you're not a roving sex columnist. You had a nervous breakdown in 1997. Yeah, you're an agoraphobic woman that hasn't left her New York apartment for the past 20 years. And no one can get to you because daily stars are just stacked against the front door. <laughs> yeah, Stanford is just a figment of your imagination. 
he's the only person that ever comes to her apartment anyway at least in the early episodes oh my god um mr big is her cat (laughs) (laughs) it's like hey kid okay look (laughs) sorry i can't stop laughing about carrie actually killing herself (laughs) look hbo I understand you guys love IP, and I know we'll never be allowed to write on Sex in the City, but just, like, do a Black Mirror anthology episode where you give, like, a bunch of people a little bit of money to make their version of Sex in the City, and this would be ours. Yeah, or, you know, we could also do, like, an animated version of Sex in the City <laughs> that is set in the 90s with Samantha, and we could do whatever we wanted. It would be dumb shit like this. It would be, like, the family guy, but Sex in the City. Yeah, or Big Mouth or something. Yeah. Anyway, Carrie gets in the shower. Charlotte scares her. Do you think every one of them has keys? Like, do you think Samantha, Miranda, and Charlotte each have a spare key to I Carrie's I think Carrie apartment? just straight up doesn't lock her doors, like Nikki. <laughs> There are some New York women that just, like, don't lock their doors and windows. You want to give Nikki's full name and her address while we're at it? Oh, she never listens to this podcast, so fuck her. Um, Steven's like, Nikki, go to this time. <laughs> Steven, if you rat me out to Nikki, I'm going to be so fucking pissed. Actually, I'm not. It's fine. You can do it. Okay. We're not giving away Nikki's home address. Also, Nikki's moving. She's going to be right by Steven now, which is very convenient for me. I'm sure all of these podcast listeners care that your oldest New York friends are moving closer to each other. (laughs) Okay. So Carrie gets the shit scared out of her. I guess now she doesn't want to kill herself because she got scared. Is Carrie just wearing all of the mascara and that's why it's dripping down her face? Because she's not, you know, she doesn't have a lot of eye makeup going on. It's not a staple yeah. of the Carrie look. I yeah, mean, I like, the, I like the raccoon eyes. It's perfect for comedic effect. But Oh, it's great. Also, the I am not in the mood to be around a bunch of people was a fun little screen cap to share on Instagram before the pandemic. <laughs> but it kind of lost its original charm, I think. I wanted to ask you, have you ever not celebrated a birthday? No, I've always celebrated my birthday. Yeah. Do you have a really bad birthday? Because I can't think of a birthday. I've never had a really bad one. No. Well, I was going to say, I've never had a bad birthday, but I think you had one of the worst nights of your life at one of my birthdays. Oh my God. Yes, I did. (laughs) I almost fucking died at medieval times. So my birthday before the pandemic, I like to either do like intimate dinners with friends or dumb shit. This year might be- Or you try to kill your friends. You know, I took them to an escape room that turned a little too real. No. (laughs) So we went to medieval times, which we all thought was like, this is dumb and funny. And we didn't realize that we were at like the last show of the day. And so much dust had gotten kicked up that like in the middle of the show, Tat just leaned over and she was like, we're going to go to the bathroom. I was like, okay. And then you guys were gone for 20 minutes. And I just got a text message that said, Chelsea can't breathe. Yeah, I slowly stopped being able to breathe because it's an enclosed space. And all day there's horses kicking up like dust it's like dust hay horse dander and it doesn't go anywhere it just hangs in the air and so i and i didn't think i ever ever had any sort of allergies or respiratory issues but i slowly stopped being able to breathe so tat took me to the bathroom and i ran outside and was like gasping for breath and then when i went outside there was two ambulances there and there were people being taken on stretchers into the ambulance and i was like what the fuck is going on and the guy's like oh this literally happens every single night at medieval time 
time since it's the last show, there's all this shit in the air and people have respiratory attacks and get hospitalized. And I was like, why did no one fucking tell me about this? This is my favorite part of the story. You were like, what the fuck? There should be signs. There should be warnings for people. And then the guy literally points to like a medieval plaque. It's in some sort of like medieval font that's like in metal on the side of the building that's like, if you have allergies, you're going to die. Don't come in. But I didn't know I had allergies. Ye old allergy (laughs) wenches. Yeah, that place is fucked up. Never again. Also, because it was Lauren's birthday, I believe we got like the king package or the queen package or something, which means you're in the front, which is fucked up because it's like, and then they hand you chicken legs. It's like, I don't want to eat animals in a barnyard. And that's what it is. It's like there's horses right there. You're eating chicken with your fingers as there's like a condor that's like circling. The realest shit was that Adam Driver SNL sketch where Adam Driver plays an actor who just writes his own medieval times storyline and takes it way too seriously because that's absolutely (laughs) what these guys do. Well, yeah, I was really horrified the degree of plot that... Oh, yeah, there's a lot of story. (laughs) There's way too much story in medieval times and no one wants it. We just want our knights to fight each other. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, Don't go to medieval times if you have unknown respiratory illnesses and allergies or be prepared to end up in an ambulance yeah so they go out to the diner charlotte bullies her into going she gently coaxes her she says look carrie you can wear another cape and she says okay (laughs) that wasn't the conversation just imagine it was right well carrie also screams i'm 35 and alone to charlotte when she's in the shower which is dark a preview for you on my 35th birthday. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. But they meet in the diner and Charlotte has... Well, before we get into what Charlotte says, Miranda's hair is very foxy. Yeah. I think Miranda looks the hottest out of all of them in this scene. Yeah, Miranda also had a really good dress under the coat that she took off in the engagement party scene that we didn't talk about. That did feel like a very sort of like Isaac Mizrahi, like black trench sort of a halter style dress almost right yeah Miranda looks great well this is where Carrie is like I realized I was 35 and alone and I felt very lonely to which Jocelyn who requested this episode asked us do you think Carrie wonders this every birthday or just 35 well maybe she's had a man at some birthdays in the past I'm realizing, as I think about it, I'm incorrect. We did celebrate Carrie's birthday in season two with an equally awkward birthday at like a Moroccan restaurant where Big shows up. It's the episode with Susan Sharon and Big's friend is there and Big's friend yells at Susan Sharon and she goes back to her husband. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. I don't think Carrie's had a good birthday. Yeah, we don't. we'll, We'll never know. Until the end, just like, well, yeah, no, they won't give her a good birthday. And just like that, something terrible will happen to her. Well, now it will be her first birthday. She celebrates without Big. Right. Even though, God forbid, we were shown a scene in either of the films or the new series of them as a couple celebrating a birthday. Whatever. Anyway, so Charlotte says she thinks she's going to get made fun of. That maybe we could all be as friends, each other's soulmates, and then we can treat men like these great distractions to have fun with. Which sounds like a great idea. Yeah, the older I get, honestly, this is how men should be treated. (laughs) Just as fun distractions. Yeah, and I believe we discussed platonic marriages on an early episode of the podcast, but not the worst idea. No, now the new thing are friends buying homes together. 
Yeah, that makes complete sense. In that episode about platonic marriages, I did discuss with you, we are essentially platonically married because we own a business together. There is paperwork legally binding us. Yeah, but we haven't decided to cohabitate, build our futures together, whatever. I mean, we're kind of building our futures Okay, you're right, you're right. We are building our future together. Okay, we're not having kids, right? We're not like... Not yet, but you'd make an excellent father, Chelsea. (laughs) I know, wouldn't I? (laughs) Sorry, modern fertility. I'm not giving birth anytime soon. I'm just imagining you standing over a crying baby being like, look, stop it. (laughs) Just like, stop. Use Uh, your words, little Timmy. (laughs) And Carrie yet again mentions that she's 35, to which Samantha says, oh, shut the fuck up. I'm 140. A great line. And then she walks back home, which... See, we should all be Samantha's because Samantha's like, I'm 140. I don't have a man and I'm completely fine with that. As long as I can masturbate to this friar. Yeah. As long as I never lose the memory of this man. Yeah. So Carrie walks home, which I suppose doesn't exactly make sense if this diner is in Soho. Okay, Lauren, you got to stop with the logistics. But they even reference this because they're like, okay, I guess we're all going back downtown. Because they're like, we're coming up to see you. And then I guess we're all now going back. Yeah, shouldn't they come up to the Upper West for her? Upper East. Upper East, right. Miranda's Upper West. Right, right, right. Anyway, Big is outside in his Lincoln Town car. You can tell because Raul, we get to see Raul yet again, is forced to be outside in the cold smoking while Big just stays inside waiting for her. Okay, when the window rolled down and the red balloons came out, I was like, oh, this is like Pennywise. (laughs) Like, this is like, and then when Mr. Big's, like, head pops out, it reminded me of that meme of Pennywise in the gutter. Like, you only see his little face through a little... Jill, you need to Photoshop that for for this episode. I'll do that to promote the episode. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's giving... uh, giving Stephen King's it. Um, Is Raul never allowed in the car once the car is parked? Well, also, Mr. Big discloses, like, oh, I didn't get these balloons. Raul got them. Yeah, which also just lie to her. Yeah. He does say, happy birthday, baby. Yeah. Does Carrie legit not know how old Big is? I know. (laughs) She's like, pick a box. What box does he say yes to? He winks at the 40 to 45 because he's, it's established, he's 10 years older than Carrie. Okay. (laughs) you're so resigned you're like all right i feel like guys aren't usually that insecure about their age no especially not a man who's been married twice before yeah also it's like he's a successful businessman like what you know yeah it's not the age you are it's the societal pressures about what you should have or have accomplished and then carrie asks him i suppose for her column do you think this is how the column ends and mr big showed up with balloons that his chauffeur bought for me. And I asked him, do you believe, how do you feel about soulmates? And then he made a little clown squeal and (laughs) ate me. (laughs) And then I realized that the fear of abandonment is what made him so strong. And if I just made fun of him and ignored him, he just got tinier and tinier until he died. (laughs) Spoiler alert for the film, it. (laughs) don't they just demean him until like he becomes like a little spider (laughs) what in the the last remake or the the original uh it's been so long since i've seen the original i don't even i don't even remember the original being the miniseries or yeah because there was the the 80s one yeah because there was it part one and two 
which when we saw it, sorry, this is just an aside, but when we saw it, part one, oh we, my we god, saw, we saw it with Nikki at the Cinerama Dome, and I got way too high because we were eating like Lauren doesn't really smoke weed regularly but we were just eating like Kiva mints or something yeah the mints and I just kept taking them and taking them and taking them they're five milligrams yeah but it hits you like an hour and a half two hours later and I got so high on the drive home and I was like I'm so high right now but I (laughs) I can't talk to anyone I just have to get us home (laughs) Which, so good. if this podcast is anything to go by, if I'm not talking, then something's wrong. <laughs> I would love to see Lauren driving like two miles an hour, the like five blocks from Arclight to your house. No, I had to drop you off first. Did you? This is when you lived at Bronson, yeah. Oh, wow. And then Nikki was staying with me. This is when Nikki lost her phone and I and she thought I was mad at her because I just I was so happy I got home oh without my God. an incident. That was so good. Right. OK. And then I met up with Nikki the next day at Musso and Frank's and she was like, I think I did something to Lauren. Like I pissed her off. Like something happened. I was like, I doubt anything happened. Sometimes Lauren's just moody. Like it happens. <laughs> uh, you told me you were internally you were like, oh, shit, I'm going to have to deal with this. Well, yeah. How awkward is that? And then uh, Lauren rocks up and straight away was like, you guys, I got way too high last night. I like went to a really dark fucking place. I'm sorry if I was weird. And I was like, oh, thank God. Come through, Lauren. I couldn't feel my arm (laughs) when you were driving. You should not be admitting to driving under the influence like that. I think it's been five years. I think the statute of limitations has gone up on this. Anyway, (laughs) what Big actually said was, I like the word soul. I like the word mate. Other than that, I got nothing. Yeah. Fair enough. Is he saying mate because he's British now? (laughs) Soulmates. In it, mate. (laughs) That's the worst accent I've ever heard. Thank you. In it. In it. (laughs) Oh, yours is so much better. (laughs) It's really bad. In it. Hello, governor. <laughs> These are all our deranged impressions of tech because neither of us can do Australian accents. So we just do like some Eliza do little shit that is not relevant at all to the way that she actually speaks. Anyway, we so rarely think about the first episodes of seasons, but I think this is a really strong one. Yeah, you're right. I don't really think about them either. Except for a pilot, like the first episode of a series ever, but... One first episode that sticks out to me is where there's smoke, there's fire. The first episode of season three. Yeah. Yeah. They were always really good at that. Another guy that looks exactly like (laughs) the fucking priest. I mean, not to generalize, but they all look like super hot Staten Island Queens firefighters. Yeah. Oh, wait, don't we have a rating system now? Oh, yeah. How many Manolos? It's one to ten Manolos? Yeah. Eight Manolos? What did we say for the last episode? Did we give it a 7.5? Yeah. we Actually, we gave it seven Manolos, and the half was the chewed up Manolo Oh, the chewed, the peat Manolo. Yeah. Which, as we said, makes- You know what? I'm giving this eight Manolos. Yeah. And here's why. It's some of the best carry outfits. It's The carry outfits in this episode are spectacular. Like, the amount that there's this many in a single episode is really impressive. Well, it's Anglophile carry. Yeah. Also, great group looks. Friar Fuck is so iconic. I feel like that's, like, among the best Samantha boyfriend of the weeks that we got on Sex and the City. And they didn't even fuck. 
They didn't even fuck. So yeah, eight eight Manolos. I like how you had to justify your rating decision, even though I gave it the same rating. <laughs> you were like, hold on, Lauren. I'm giving it eight Manolos, but hear me out. Also, also the part where Carrie kills herself. <laughs> Speaking of which, as we transition out of this episode, instead of the theme song, shall we do Needle in the Hay? I recently went back and rewatched The Real Tenenbaums, or it was on cable and Wes Anderson has just been so Wes Anderson-y the last few films that I forgot like fuck the Royal Tenenbaums is so good it's so good (sighs) it really is and then I tried to watch the French Dispatch and I was like eh I can't my favorite part of the Royal Tenenbaums is when Owen Wilson is having some sort of breakdown on the fake Charlie Rose program which is playing while all the family is together yeah 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 (laughs) it's so good well, that and when Gwyneth Paltrow leses out for a brief moment. Of course. Who do you think is going to be the designer that gets Apple Martin to appear as her mother from the Royal Tenenbaums in a campaign? Gucci. I'm sure they've been making that ask for five years now. <sighs> anyway, this has been great. Wes Anderson presents Sex in the City. Oh my God, it's so funny to think what he would make all their apartments look like. Carrie's would be pink. Carrie's already dressed the part for the most part. And Charlotte. Yeah. Samantha. Samantha Samantha is like fur coats only in the Wes Anderson version. I was going to say Samantha's played by Angelica Houston. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Mr. Big is Gene Hackman. (laughs) Alec Baldwin does Carrie's voiceover. (laughs) Stop. Later that night, I got to thinking. Owen Wilson is definitely Aiden. Or is it Luke? Wow. That's really good. And Ben Stiller's Skipper. I know that Tilda Swinton was not in this Wes Anderson film, but I believe that that's the correct casting for Miranda. Oh, okay. I was like, where are we going with this? Yeah, for sure. She was in Life Aquatic, right? And she's in the new one, which I haven't seen. Should we see it? I just told you. I started watching it. And I, was, I got 20 minutes in. And I was like, okay. See, I had people text me and be like, it's amazing. I think it's amazing. It's just, I said to Jessica Glasscock, who, who had seen it, I said, I get the feeling it's the most Wes Anderson Wes Anderson is ever Wes Anderson. And she went, yes. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to Wes Anderson talk. <laughs> <sighs> All right. And with that, here is Elliot Smith's 1995 banger, Needle in the Hay. Arm, a stack charm around your neck, strung out and thin, calling some friend, trying to cash some check. He's acting dumb, that's what you come to expect. Needle in the head. 